Welcome back, everyone, to Your Life, God's Word, where we take the principles found in Scripture and we apply them to our everyday lives, those areas that are most important, faith, family, and community. In this episode, we continue our discussion on God's nature, and this time we discuss the one-of-a-kind special situation of the Incarnation. That's right, we discuss Jesus Christ. Was he born of a virgin? Was he man? Was he God? Was he both? Was he in some combination? And how does this work? We are going to dive into all of these questions and, of course, look at them through the lens of Holy Scripture. So without further ado, let's dive right in. All right. Hey, guys. Welcome back. We are now past our 100th episode into 101, Uncharted Territory. Of course, I think every new episode is Uncharted Territory, technically, but uh, (sighs) try not to steal my thunder here. Um, We are continuing on with our series on God's nature, and I really, I heavily, highly recommend, if you have not watched at least my first uh, intro to this, I do recommend you going and watching that before you get into some of these um, kind of right in the middle of topics. I also highly recommend going and watching all of the interviews that we've done with uh, some various um, kind of key thinkers in the um, in the realm of theology, God's nature uh, specifically. We've um, we've done multiple interviews, and I know these are not the only uh, viewpoints out there, by the way. I know, nobody has specifically said this to me, but I don't want anybody thinking that you know Trinitarianism, oneness, and uh, biblical Unitarianism are the only views that anybody holds. There are gobs of different takes on each of these, as we've said before. Um, and there are many other th- ways of viewing God's nature. And I'll say it here, I'll probably say it throughout, I'll probably say it every single episode. I think there's a lot of leeway and room uh, for people to, to believe different things when it comes to the nature of God, exactly how everything works. I think there are just some, some uh, specific stakes in the sand, like, you can't tr- you, you can't tread off into this territory, right? You can't go off into this territory because that literally undoes what the scripture would be telling us as a as an absolute fact. So again, you can watch that first intro. I go more into that. We have discussed the uh, the Godhead, kind of what it is, the different views that we are interacting with on this series. And uh, we went through sort of a summary, just a quick survey of Old Testament scriptures, New Testament scriptures, um, dealing with the the idea of monotheism and kind of boiling it down to theism. Um, some people say, was it ethical monotheism, I think is one of the terms, or scriptural monotheism. I mean, it's, it's, it's one God. There is but one God. And now we're getting into, well, how does that, what is the makeup of that one God? How does um, the interplayer interaction with Jesus, how does that come into um, into this whole concept? And I ended last time talking about Jesus as being uh, what some refer to as the God-man. Now, um, when it comes to biblical Unitarianism, they would not say that Jesus uh, is a God-man. And so we'll, we'll deal with uh, some of that, I think, 
in this specific um, section. So first of all, let's look at Jesus and ask the question, was Jesus a man? Was he a man at all? Was he, was it just God pretending? Was it, uh, you know, some sort of divine um, uh, flesh? Was it a, just a theophany? What, what exactly is going on there? Because there are people who, there's a lot of disagreement on this, and I think uh, you could probably have a whole episode or multiple, probably have a series just on this, but I'm just going to do a few scriptures that um, that I think really uh, help to sort of answer this question. And there are many, many, many more, of course. John 3.16, God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. So we know Jesus is the Son of God. The Bible often mentions this. And He was begotten. He was um, he was brought forth. He was, I know many versions say His one and only Son. Um, but uh, Hebrews 1 gives a little more clarification, so we'll go there, right? Rather than getting caught up is it monogamous i think is the is the greek term there um you know begotten oh is it is it truly begotten or does it mean his one and only personally i think it means begotten personally i think the folks who think the one and only translation um yeah i just looking at the the information in scripture i feel like begotten is perfectly good translation here's why hebrews 1 5 and 6, for to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I became your father. So we'll stop right there. Today I became your father, that is what begotten means. Um, And so again, I like scripture interpreting scripture. I am not against credentials and PhDs that have PhDs that spawn more PhDs. I'm not against that at all. I think Knowledge is great. Uh, you know, I, 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 I again, reading and, and growing and all this stuff. But when it comes to breaking it down, you know, for doctrine and discussions um, with kingdom principles, I really want to see what the scripture says and I want to let the scripture interpret itself more than anything. I don't want some Greek philosopher or even a Christian philosopher who is not divinely inspired of God to pin the scriptures, um, to be the one that I lean to as my chief commentary on whatever verse of the Bible it might be. So again, when I go to John 3.16 and I say my personal opinion is begotten as a very good, I read from the NASB, by the way, um, right, NASB, King James, New King James, there's multiple that have begotten and there's multiple that have one and only, and I would say I think I disagree with one and only. Uh, not just because I'm getting into some linguistic argument, but because the scripture clearly shows he was begotten. Hebrews 1, you are my son. Today I have become your father. That's what begetting means, right? Bringing, into, bringing forth. So again, my personal opinion uh, don't go burn your Bible necessarily if uh, <laughs> your Bible says one and only son. But I think the concept is there with Scripture, interpreting Scripture. That's very key, very, very key indeed. 
So you are my son, today I've become your father, or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. This is verse 6 now of Hebrews 1. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Once again, bring your firstborn into the world. That is what the essence of the word begotten means. So was Jesus begotten? Yes, he was begotten. And I know there are some people who believe in in an eternal generation of the Son. In other words, the Son of God um, has always been. Jesus, the the second uh, member of the Trinity, for instance, he has always been. He's always been around. He's eternal, just like the Father, right? Um, And and there are many Trinitarians, uh, some very popular ones, who do not believe that. They believe in the Trinity strongly. They affirm it and all that, but they do not believe in the eternal generation of the Son. Walter Martin was a very popular, learned, um, he would debate people, he wrote books, um, and he was a strong Trinitarian. He debated people that didn't believe the Trinity, and he debated against them because he believed the Trinity, but he did not believe in the eternal generation of the Son, and there are many more. Um, I will say this, the eternal generation of the Son does not get off the ground. When it comes to scriptures like this, you are my son today. That's a point in time. Today I have become your father. Unless you want to preach that there was a time when they were all three, father, son, and spirit, were all three in eternity past, and the father wasn't his father yet, or something like that. I don't know that there's anybody that believes that. Uh, eternal generation does not get off the ground. I'm sorry. Um, what what someone has to do, and this is what I don't like when in any camp, I don't care who it is, I don't care what doctrinal stance it is, when you have to start really explaining how a scripture written in plain English, and again, I'm not, I'm not saying KJV, some confusing word, I mean, bust out just two or three of, you know, an ESV, a um, an NLT, and an NIV, and just compare them, Right and you read through them and study some of these things, when you have to start explaining how the Scripture doesn't mean what the Scripture plainly says, you're in dangerous territory, and that's where you get into that, hey, there's a stake in the sand here. Don't go beyond this. So you are my son. Today I have become your father. Or, again, I will be his father, and he will be my son. And again, God's God brings his firstborn into the world, now, you could say, well, there's an eternal generation, and um, it's talking about the incarnation here. This is when he brings the firstborn eternal son into the world. I guess you could say that. I don't know. I just thought of it just now um, as I'm reading this. Um, I, I don't know that... Um, <laughs> That's that's a, an argument that anyone uses, um, but again, right? This is a this is a a quotation, right? This is Hebrews that we're reading, but it's a quotation from uh, the book of Psalms, right? And let's go to Psalms two, verse seven. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Chapter 2, 
Today, I have begotten you. It's just a, I think, impossibly difficult mountain to climb when you get to this idea of eternal generation. When I say impossibly difficult to climb, obviously I mean without laying down a Bible and picking up a philosophy book. Um, so let's keep going. Let's keep going here. Galatians 4.4, 4. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. So he was born of a woman. The Bible clearly shows that. You can read the accounts in, in the Gospels that read the birth of Jesus. He was clearly born of a woman. He had a female, right, human mother. Well, I guess female and mother are synonymous, but, uh, well, there's some synonymous one direction. You can be a female, not a mother, but you can't really be a mother and not a female. So, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Now, again, someone could say, well, but, you know, he was, yes, she incubated this 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 deity form, but he wasn't, he didn't get her DNA. He wasn't really her. He wasn't human. And I, th I think, again, there we got to go back to Hebrews, Hebrews 2, 17 and 18. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. He had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Um, I, you know, Hebrews 5, 7, in the days of his flesh. Whose flesh? His flesh. He offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety. Now, or piety. Hmm. Now, again, the argument can certainly be made, but I think it is a very difficult case to make. Indeed, that Jesus was some kind of a theophany. He was, you know, just, just God pretending to be a human, but not really a human, right? The Bible speaks of him. Uh, he, he grew, you know, in, um, in wisdom. Um, let me see if I can look that verse up for you. Um, but how can Jesus grow in wisdom if he's God, that doesn't really make sense. And when I say God, I mean God only, right? He's just, he's, there's no humanity there. He's not really a human being. That doesn't make any sense. This is Luke 2.52. Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So it, again, that it just it's a really difficult case to make, and so we'll move on from there. Um, I'm happy to hear your opinion. I'm ha happy to hear you know some verses. Happy to have a discussion. So let me know your thoughts. Let me know what you think. But I think it's pretty clear Jesus was a human being. Now, was he more than a human being? Was he just? I I, I don't want to use the word just. I said that before. Was he Messiah? Was he the chosen one? Was he you know the anointed? Was he you know given all the prerogatives that God laid upon him and all this stuff, but not, he didn't cross the line to deity? Or, right, was he some kind of 
combination of both God and man. Let's go check the scriptures out. Isaiah 9 and 6 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, I guess you could say, well, he was called Mighty God, you know, Emmanuel, God with us, but it's God in a sense like uh, like when when uh, Yahweh said to Moses, "I you will be like you know like a God or like God to Pharaoh," but but you just you just look at the context and you read these things and it's that is not that is not what the average person is going to get out of this, especially when you when you read it again in context fully. Okay. Isaiah's prophesying he's going to be the mighty God and the everlasting Father, by the way. And we know this is Jesus. I mean, <laughs> of course, I mean, it's obviously Jesus. Um, we notice here, mighty God and everlasting Father, right? Or I think some versions say Father of Eternity or something like that, right? He's going to have the Father title um, applied to him as well, which is interesting but I'm focusing on the mighty God piece here, the mighty God. You read that, then you then you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You just don't come away with, oh, it's clearly meaning God in a, in a sense that's not actual deity. John chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay, skipping down to verse 14, it says, The Word became flesh made his dwelling among us, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. See, I read the one and only there instead of only begotten, because that's the version that I pulled that verse from, NIV, I believe. Um, but you see, <laughs> you got you to look at that, right? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And then this word was made flesh. So you see that Jesus, is, and then it goes on. I mean, John 1 is always talking about Jesus when you read it in context and you see it, right? The, that word was made flesh and made his dwelling among us. It's, and we've seen his glory, right? Glory of that what? That only begotten? Well, who's that only begotten? John 3.16 lets you know the only begotten is what? It's Jesus, <laughs> right? So it's clearly talking about Jesus. Um, And so Jesus, if he is... Right, that word, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. So if that word became flesh, in some way that word is mixed up and it's mixed up and tied to that fleshly incarnation of Jesus walking around. Now, I think it really comes to bear when you go to John chapter 20 and verse 28, right? This is at the end of John now. This is where Thomas comes, right? Feels where the, the spikes were in his hands, his side, all of this. Thomas falls down, and in John 20, 28, Thomas says, My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. I mean, again, this is a this guy has a Jewish mindset. He says, "My Lord and my God." I I mean, 
he's talking to Jesus. Jesus doesn't pick him up and correct him and say, hey, you know, man, you're right there at the Lord part, but you went a little too far, Thomas. He doesn't say that. And I think the scriptures are leaning in the evidentiary perspective. I think they lean to show that Jesus was deity. He was God. He was God in the flesh um, because he was also human. Now that, again, that right there, he was deity and humanity. That right there sounds like an absolute contradiction. How can you be deity and humanity? And this is where much of the discussion, many of the creeds, especially early on, centered around this, you know, this idea of Jesus, the Nicene Creed was definitely, um, you know, the, the entire, the entire uh, ordeal centered around what's going on with, you know, the interaction between Jesus and, 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 and uh, the Father and all this. And uh, the... The difficulty here is there's never been anything like Jesus before, and there's never been anything like him since. And so you can't really say, well, he's kind of like this. There is no this to compare him to. Any analog, any analogy is going to fall short in some way. And so you really have to pinpoint the explanatory power of whatever analogy you're using. This particular thing is what I mean by he's like this or it's like this. I don't mean you can expand that and say, it applies in other areas. Now, let's go to the scriptures and just look. Does the scripture show some kind of duality? Does the scripture show some kind of some kind of you know God manness? And if so, how does that work? Because I don't think it's wrong to say, well, that's impossible that, that he's not God because he forgave sins. If God says I have empowered this one certain person to be able to give forgive sins. Who are you and I to say, well, only God can forgive sins? If God says, I alone can forgive sins, and I have now, in this special circumstance, I have designated this person or delegated to this person whom I have chosen, my chosen one, not any old dude off the street, this sinless right? Uh, incarnation of a man, right? He didn't have a father, right? Again, biblical Unitarians believe it was virgin birth. So this is not some just guy that God randomly said, hey, you know, this guy over here, you can forgive sins. But this one situation where God says, hey, this one can forgive sins, I think God can, can do that if he wants to. Maybe I'm a heretic for saying that God can do what he wants. He doesn't have to ask you and me. Um, I don't know, but I don't believe that. See, I believe, well, no, no, I believe God can do what he wants. He doesn't have to ask you and me. I don't believe that it was, that Jesus was a man only given the divine prerogatives in that way. I believe Jesus was humanity and deity. I believe he was a properly, you can call him a God man. And I think the scriptures teach this. When you look at Colossians 1.15, it says he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, Colossians 2.9, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Now that's interesting. So it's not just, oh, he's the image, absolutely. But in Christ all 
the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. That's interesting. Um, what does that mean, right? Because that's more than just oh, just just he's just a physical a, a, um, a visible representation. That is saying, I mean, the indwelling of the fullness of deity was it within him. Um, I think that that really starts to open up. Uh, we'll call it a layer of understanding. Um, I'm pulling up a scripture here, John three thirty four. I think it is. Because this is one scripture that Roger Perkins and I discussed a little bit. Um, it says, this is John 3, well, let's go back to John three thirty one. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He, he bears witness to what he has seen and heard. Yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son, has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So, Roger Perkins... uh, was saying that he he believes the scripture is letting us know that Jesus had this fullness of God in him that you and I don't have even when we receive the the Holy Spirit. We are um, filled with God's Spirit, but it's not in a measure like Jesus had. Now, I think you get that exact same thing from Colossians 2.9, but I think we discussed it in kind of that context in John 3.34. If I remember correctly, that was couple months ago. But I digress. Colossians 2.9, for in Christ all the fullness, as if, you know, all or fullness is not enough, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. 2 Corinthians 5.19 also gives some insight here. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Interesting. It is using the word God and saying God is a him. God himself, right? Check that out. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and he gave us the wonderful message of reconciliation. Now, if you say that God means Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Attaching a himself doesn't make much sense. Seems to me like that would be themselves. Or right, because again, you're not you're not talking about one of the members of the Trinity. You're not taking the Father himself or the Spirit himself. You're saying God, all of them, himself. So do is it a him, a him, a him, and then all three of them combined are another him? He's not Voltron. Right? This isn't a transformer. So that's not how it works, and I don't think there are any Trinitarians, or maybe there are. I mean, I, again, there are a lot. There's so many. There's probably a, easily a dozen, probably a hundred different mindsets and modes and ways that people are Trinitarian. Um, so if you translate this as, okay, it's not meaning God as in the triune God. It's talking about the Father. Okay, let's read it again. 
For the Father was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. Okay, that, I mean, that fits, right? That really fits. And look here, we have John 14, which kind of gets on that too, right? And so I'm going to kind of show this here. John 14, 6 through 10, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So that kind of fits with the Father was in God, or in God. <laughs> Let me back up. The Father was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. What does Jesus say? No one comes to the Father, what? Except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. Okay. From now on, you do know him, talking about the Father, you do know the Father, and have seen the Father. Do what? <laughs> right? Again, Philip, just piping in here. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and it will be enough for us. So Jesus is saying, you know the Father, and you've seen the Father. And Philip's like, I don't, we don't know what you're talking about. We see you. We don't see the Father. Show the Father to us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And how can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. That's pretty powerful. I mean, here you have Jesus saying, all of you have seen the Father, you know the Father, and you have somebody literally saying, we have, we don't know. We have no idea what you're talking about. We think you and the Father are separate, and we see you, but we have never seen the Father. And Jesus answers that question and says, don't you know me? Philip is asking about the Father, Jesus says, don't you know me, even after I have been among you such a long time, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now, he didn't say, I'm a representation of the Father, I'm as close as you get, if you see me, you've seen the image of that Father, you've seen the reflection, you've seen the Son of God, who is an image of the Father. He didn't say that. He said, when you have seen me physically, You've seen the Father. Of course, we know the Bible says God's a spirit. You know, you can't see spirit. And so what is he? What? What? Then he says, right? It's the Father living in me doing the work. This ties directly with 2 Corinthians. When you see God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. What was it? And Colossians 2, right? In Christ, all the fullness of these scriptures, in my humble opinion, are clearly showing that God indwelt Jesus Christ in a way that no one else, he had no human father. I don't know what his DNA would have looked like. Chances are, if you put his DNA under a microscope, maybe it just looked like human DNA. I don't know. Or maybe it didn't. I, don't, I have no idea. But we know he had no human father. He had a direct lineage to God. Unlike us, when we receive the Holy Spirit, we still have human parents. We're fully human. We have God living inside us. He was fully human without a human father. And so he had this fullness of God in him 
this fullness of deity that indwelt him that is unlike anybody else. It's no other thing that ever happened before or after. I think that's what these scriptures are telling us. 2 Corinthians 5.19, Colossians 2.9, John 14. And is it can it be confusing? Absolutely. The guys that he is traveling with for three years were confused. They're like, what? You're saying we know, but we don't know. <laughs> Philip was the one guy, the guy in the, you know, in the front of the class willing to put up his hand and say, yeah, you said we know, but we don't know. We don't know. <laughs> so show us the Father. What is he asking for? He's talking about the Father. What's he want to see? He wants to see the Father. What does Jesus say? Does he say, oh, you can't actually see the Father. You have to see me, the image of the Father. Did he say, oh, no, 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 no. Your understanding is, 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 is imperfect there, Philip. You see, and this is, again, this is not him talking to the crowds, where he would talk in sort of parables and not, you know, not quite directly hit things on. This is with his own men talking to them, giving them insight and instruction, his own apostles who he's going to send out, okay? And what does he say to them? He says, from now on, you have seen the Father. And they said, no, we haven't, so show it to us. And he says, don't you know me? Who's the me? Well, the me is Jesus, but who were they asking to see? The Father. It's almost like Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 says, he will be properly called the everlasting Father, the mighty God. Right? Now, there is, again, a recognition there by the apostles. That's why Thomas finally, he fell down and said, my Lord and my God. How is Jesus God? Jesus is man. He was born of a woman. He is God because the fullness of deity indwelt him. Every person that has God living in them, the Holy Spirit, you can't call them God. You can't call them a God. We aren't little gods walking around. You know, we're not, we're, that's ridiculous. But Jesus could be called God. Why? Because of the fullness of the Father living within him. Do we have the Father in us? Yes. When we receive the Holy Spirit, God indwells us, right? But that is not Jesus. Jesus is not human father, human mother, and he also had you know the Holy Spirit from birth or something. That is not Jesus' setup. Jesus has this fullness of deity. The Father indwelling him, no human father. And this is where we get the concept of Jesus as God. Now, there are other ways to view this. I just don't think the scriptures really bear them out. And then when you see in Luke twenty-two forty-two, Luke twenty-two forty-two, Jesus says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. How many wills are represented in Luke twenty-two forty-two? Let's read it again, shall we? Father, if you are willing, oh, there's one, willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. There's two wills clearly represented in Luke twenty-two forty-two. Jesus said, not my will, because my will is that we do this another way. 
We, I don't go to the cross. I don't have to go through all of this. This is a very, it, uh, bearing every, the sin of the entire world on me, bearing the wrath of God on the cross, right? Just the torture and, 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 and evil of the cross itself, all of it. But he said, however, my will is not the one that will be dominant here. It is yours. I will submit to your will, clearly showing there's two wills. And again, is there a division in God? Does one part of the Trinity not want to do this and one part does? I don't think so. I, I don't think that's accurate. I think that's, I don't think any Trinitarian would say that either, right? Because in order for a Trinity to work, they're all of one mind. They are all co-eternal, co-everything. And so what do you have here? You have his human nature, him, Jesus, the person, the son of God is saying, if there's any other way to do this, I'd rather do that way. And the God that indwells him, the father saying, this is the only way, right? So there's two wills. Now, why is Jesus God? Because of that indwelling because of that lineage back to Yahweh, right? I mean, his father's side is God Almighty. Whose father was Adam? Adam was the son of God, right? Now, was Adam deity? The Bible nowhere shows, nowhere shows that Adam had Yahweh indwelling him in any way. It doesn't say that. So you have a fully human being whose father is God. He made him from the dust of the ground, but he's fully human. Then you have Jesus who is fully human and he is also fully divine. That That's why Jesus could make some of these, hey, and, and Paul, right, he makes the references, the first Adam, last Adam, all that stuff. Hey, the first Adam was what? He was earth. He, he was humanity only. The second was not. He was not human only. He was divine as well. I believe that's what the scriptures teach. I think we can, you know, again, I think there are some ways to agree to disagree on these things. I don't think that everybody that doesn't agree like me, you're, you're lost and you're going to burn in hell and you're a heretic and all that stuff. Um, because I think you can still uh, believe Jesus is Messiah, Jesus is Lord. Uh, it's through him and him alone that we are saved. Uh, there's one God. I mean, all the essential things you have to believe um, that the scriptures teach, like, hey, this is essential. You, you can believe the virgin birth. You can believe, I mean, again, you can believe all these things and still say, well, I'm not fully, I just, Steve, you're, you're just not fully convincing me that we could say Jesus is God. I get it. God, you know, the Father was indwelling him. Sure. Okay, fine. But can you then say Jesus is God? Now, I, again, I believe you can. Um, there, there are multiple scriptures where I believe the scriptures refer to Jesus as God. It is, uh, oh man, I'm going to try to think of these on the fly. Um, Titus. Titus 2.13. I 
apologize for not having these in my notes um, right in front of me. I think they might be in my notes later on, but uh, Titus 2.13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Now again, there's there's some you know textual variant there, and there's um, you know different different uh, ways to look at this. Is it great God and Savior Jesus Christ, or is it our great God and our Savior Jesus Christ? Right? Is it God and Savior one person, or is it God and our Savior is coming as well? That's the that's the Messiah. That's Jesus. Um, and and again, right? These are things that I think perhaps we can agree to disagree but still be brothers in Christ. You know, I, I just I, I just again, you believe the vir- someone believes the virgin birth. Someone believes um, Jesus is the only way. They, you know, they are baptized into his name. They are making him Lord. They are filled with the Spirit, but they they disagree on you know whether Jesus can properly be called deity or if it's honestly, does that I mean, uh, is that a doctrinal salvation issue? I would have to see the scripture that says it is. See, that's the thing. I, I believe it's 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 important. I think it's good to get that right. Um, but is it a salvation issue to believe the correct information on this? I think there are things around it, right, where the theology leads to your uh, soteriology, right? The theology can lead to some bad practices or things, but what if it doesn't? What if the theology, uh, two different types of theology, right? They're thinking and how God works, whatever, leads to the same rest of the important things. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Messiah. Jesus is the only way. Virgin birth. He's returning in the clouds. Like I mean, all of that stuff, but you just, I personally, again, I would have to be shown in Scripture where this is a salvation issue. I'm happy to change my mind. I mean, I already did change my mind. You can read, you can go back and listen to the first um, episode. I used to believe it was. Now I'm, I'm, in, I'm unconvinced, but open. And um, what I do believe is that the Scripture teaches that He was both God and man. And the way that He was God, the way, how is He God? Was He, you know, a divine flesh? Was He, you know, a theophany? No, He was fully indwelt by the Father, by the Father, and that properly makes Him. God, not a separate God from the Father, because it's the Father that is making him God. He is, uh, there There are two wills, two consciences, uh, consciousnesses, <laughs> sorry, I'm trying to say that word, um, it's, it's a consciousness, right? Two of them, there are two consciousnesses, wow, say that five times real fast, but it's obvious because he's praying in the garden. He says, not your will, but mine, or not my will, but yours, right? I want mine to be done, but I am submitting my will to yours. So there's two wills. Well, a tree doesn't have a will. An impersonal force doesn't have a will. Only a divine being, that I am that I am, right? Only Yahweh has a will. And then Jesus Christ, if he was just a ball of flesh outside of God, outside of the Father, that a ball of flesh doesn't have a will. He was clearly a man. He's God and man. 
And that's, again, I think what the scriptures teach. I am more than happy. I'm excited to hear um, your take on it. You know, what, what do you think? What are you, what are you seeing on this? What, uh, you know, what kinds of different uh, viewpoints might there be? But that's, that's kind of my take, and that's where we're going to end it right here on uh, the duality, the duality of Jesus Christ, the God-man. He was human. He was deity. He was both wrapped up in one incredible, wonderful, beautiful package, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Hope that has helped you. Hope that has given you some insight, some scriptures to go look at and think about and be, um, and um, again, be, be reading your Bible and, and really diving into some of these things. Hit us up if you would like to on, uh, you know, questions or comments, and we will catch you on the next of our installments on God's nature. See you then, and God bless.